my neck sore today. Is it? I think it's actually these earrings. They're lovely earrings though. They're but so yes. chunky. It makes sense. It's just like it's like redundant ear weight that's pulling yeah, that's me right. down. But it's not redundant. It looks really cool. Yeah. I'm rocking it's about aesthetics. Everything's about aesthetics. Yes. Unfortunately. Fuck you, patriarchy. <laughs> Josephine. How are you today? I'm good. I have been ill. Yes. But I'm slowly getting better. I had a COVID test. You have such a sexy like. Thank you. I'm very like, is it Kathleen Marshall? Is that the name of that actress? I don't know what you're trying to say. Oh, there's an actress that has a really deep voice. You went down in pitch as you said that. Yes. Down here. It's. I already have a low voice and now it's like low and raspy. (laughs) Yeah. No, like. I don't think you do like a particularly like famously low voice. You don't think so? No. Oh, I, I think, think I so. do. I think I do. I have quite a low speaking voice. Listeners, what do you think? Yeah, please let us know. <laughs> Write to myfavoritemusical at gmail.com. Speaking of, this is My Favorite Musical. Yes, it's a podcast. It is a podcast. About musicals. Yes. You're Josephine. You're Ruth. We're getting better. <laughs> yeah. How, um, how was your week? Yeah, good. So I had this COVID test, oh, which was, was it my okay? first one. It wasn't too bad. Um, it was more uncomfortable than painful. Mm. Um, but yeah, like a swab up each, all the way up each nostril and then one down your throat. What do you mean all the way up? Like, like how far to your up brain. You go? To your brain. No, I don't know. But like <laughs> quite far up. Wow. Much further than anyone's been up my nostrils before. Oh, you haven't had like, you know, there's ENTs like. I haven't, like no. Micro, oh, not microscopes, cameras that go up and down. So I assume it's quite similar. Because I find those quite uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'd say it's probably quite similar. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've just, so I've been a bit sick, but I don't have COVID. So that's exciting. Well, yes. <laughs> Imagine if like, no, you wouldn't do that. Just Nothing. pretending? Yeah. We're like, And you're like, and I would like to tell you the results of my test. And I was just sitting in the room with you? Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't do that. Also, it's illegal. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. But yeah, I'm, it meant that, I'm like, quite delirious. We didn't like record last week. No, because not you that were the sick. listeners will notice, but they like, won't. yeah, we didn't record last week, so it feels like it's been ages. It has actually been ages, um, and I got so lazy with my research. I read, I read an entire book. To be fair, yeah, that's not fucking lazy. So it's not lazy, but I always read books, so it's not like a big deal. But yeah. I got really lazy with my research because we had like two weeks off. Yeah, not that this is a chore at all. But you know, as soon as someone tells me I have to do something, I'm like, no, fuck you. I'll do what I want when I want. My thing is that I just like, because I just tend to immerse myself in that show for the week. I've just really been in this show for like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, Yeah. shit. Well, I've been listening to this, my show, um, cast recording (laughs) for two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm a bit obsessed. Have you had a good week otherwise? Yeah. A a good two weeks? Yeah. 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 Same, same. Very samey. Yeah. That's it. More of the world. As it is. I thought for a second you said War of the World and I was like, thank you. I would love to talk about Jeff Wayne's War of I'm the World. I'm actually surprised you haven't done War of the Worlds yet. Can I do it? Like, is it, can we of classify it as a musical? I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Well, in which case I would have done it in episode three. <laughs> Holy fuck. Are you, no, but are you really giving me permission? What would we not, what would we classify it as? I don't know. It's, of course it's a musical. Is it? Yes. But like, it's not staged. It's not like you do it uh, on stage. But like, sort of. Wouldn't 
Okay, I'm gonna do like that's all I need. <laughs> I, that's all I needed from you. And next week, you've given me the green light. Poor I'm actually gonna have to change my order of the upcoming musicals. Are you? Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> you know how obsessed I am with War of the Worlds. Yeah, I've never seen it, or what? even really have you listened, listened to, to it? it. Not really. <gasps> it's just not something that's like come across my path. We used to, we had the, um, like the record when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. And it's like a big double, like it's, there's two records in there and it has like a big, um, like a booklet in it of the story. Cause you yeah. can read along with the script yeah. that Richard Burton like reads throughout. Um, God, it's good. Holy shit. It's good. Okay. I've always loved it. Always. I think you can definitely do it. I think we should. Yeah. Like okay. it just cause something's not a traditional musical. Yeah. Things can be yeah. other things. It's still a story told through music, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a musical. But then, like, so are operas. Yeah. So. But, for example, like, I feel like one day I might do something like Jerry Springer the Opera. Oh, yeah. Which it's like musical theatre performers do it. Do and it. it's part of, like, musical theatre programming. Yeah. No, I think that's fine. Yeah. I accept. Yeah. Oh, look, do what you want. That's right. It's our fucking podcast. It's our podcast. We do what we want. Yeah. Um, do you have any apologies for us today? Just sorry for my raspy voice and if I cough. It's very sexy. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am. I don't have any apologies. Great. Although I think, I don't know if I have, I haven't spoken to him yet, but I think I have to apologize to my friend Gareth about the chess <laughs> he episode. He just disagrees with lots of stuff in the chess episode. So I don't know what specifically I'm apologising for, but I'll just do a blanket. I'm sorry, Gareth. I I'm know gonna, that you care deeply about chess, but also so do I. I'm going to record it when you guys have a conversation about <laughs> it. I just know that he feels very differently than you about lots of what you said. It's very funny. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this is my platform. <laughs> Get your own podcast, Gareth. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you have a spotlight for us today? I do. Tell me. Um, mine is a woman called Katori Hall. Ooh. Yeah. So Katori Hall is a female African-American activist, playwright, journalist and actress. Yes. Um, in 2010, her play The Mountaintop, which is about Martin Luther King Jr., mm. it opened on the West End and it won the Olivier Award for Best New Play. And at the time, she was the first ever black woman to receive that um, oh, In what accolade. year? 2010. Yeah, Jesus. I know. Um, she was also only 28 at the time. I just made a note of that because, like, that's amazing, right? Um, so the play, it transferred to Broadway for a very successful run starring Samuel L. Jackson and Angela Bassett. Nice. And it recouped its capitalization, which is a big deal for a play. Angela Bassett, was she in The West Wing? I, I like that you're asking me that when it's your favourite TV show. <laughs> Do you like how I just try and shoehorn The West Wing into yeah, everything? It's literally your favourite TV show of all time, <laughs> as if I'm going to know the answer. Um, but the reason I'm mentioning Katori Hall today is because she's the co-writer of Tina, the Tina Turner musical, um, which had was having a very successful run in the West End, um, still hopefully will be once COVID's finished, and had opened on Broadway in November 2019. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so she, uh, so two other guys had written the book for that and then she came on board the project and sort of rewrote it. Um, so she's, she's billed as the co-writer, but like sort of rejigged it after, um, other people had written it. Um, so her, um, yeah, so Tina, um, is the, and I really love that there's kind of this tradition that's happening more and more of like really great playwriters writing some of these, um, like Lynn Nottage, yeah. who won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, in fact, I think she might have won two Pulitzer Prizes. She's amazing. Really? Playwright. Yeah, Sweat Shit. is one of her plays and I feel like there's another one. Um, she's doing the, the Michael – MJ, the Michael Jackson one. Like, 
yeah, just like these incredible playwrights writing some of these jukebox musicals. That's cool. Yeah, I just think it's a great yeah. thing. Um, so Katori's other plays include Hurt Village, Our Lady of Cabejo and Children of Killers. Um, and race and ethnicity are often present, present, present in her work. Mm. Um, and through her writing, she's trying to represent the African-American community and striving to bring social changes. Wow. Um, so, so she's yeah. quite prolific. I mean, because so, she's 38. Yeah, she's in the late 30s. Wow. She's had like what a, a cool. Broadway musical yeah. and Broadway plays and West End. Like it's quite amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love Katori that story. Hall. Yeah. Have you noticed though that the women that we spotlight – you una- almost unanimously have so many hats that they can put on. Oh, I know. And I, why why does that have to be? And I, I'm really I'm celebrating the fact that the women we speak about are all so multi talented. Yeah. But also, you know, is it just because they're women they have to be able to do so many things to like be like honestly probably, which is sort of fucked. Like, I mean, not just sort of fucked. Yeah. 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 Yeah, fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy, we, as, as we, we say all the time. Um, Angela Bassett was not in the West Wing. I was getting her confused with the character Angela Blake, who's played by the actress Michael Hyatt. Okay. Yeah, my bad. Angela Bassett. Um, she was in like was a it lot like of 90s Stella films. Was Stella got a groove back? Is that Stella got a groove back? Is uh, that I, was a, was I know she was in Waiting to Exhale. Oh, Waiting to Exhale, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she's amazing. She's amazing. And obviously – Geo Goat Samuel L. Jackson, Prince also, GOAT. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. Do you want to hear my spotlight? I'd love to. Yes, good. Okay, I'm talking about artists co creating real equity. Ooh. Which is like, it's a, so it's an organization that's an arm of the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Which is an organisation I didn't know about. Yeah. So it's the it's an American national and international collective of anti-racist, multicultural community organisers and educators. And their whole ethos is that they're dedicated to building like an effective movement for social change. So they're really actively anti-racist. Um, and their whole thing is that they're creating like educational opportunities for organisations or businesses or whatever to not just sort of like um, – What's the name for when HR like does like sexism training or whatever oh, it is? Right, yeah. But this is like it's not just like how to identify racism, but how to be actively anti-racist. Yeah, which I think is really important. Um, yeah, they offer training to businesses and stuff, and they call the workshops "Undoing Racism," which I I just really appreciate yeah. that. So they're a really proactive organization, and yeah, the arm that is sort of um, encompasses anti-racism in in the arts in America is called Artists Co-Creating Real Equity. I've put a link to both of those organizations um they're really proactive you can donate to them on their websites yeah and um yeah they're doing some really important education which That's is really because yeah, i'm really all good. about raising money and whatever and advocacy but this is like on the ground changing minds mm. really important stuff yeah absolutely yeah. very yeah. cool yeah thank you um do you have any recommendations this week i do I would like to talk about – so because for a while there we were fourth, I think, in Australia underneath the podcast David Tennant does a podcast with. <laughs> and I would just like to remind everyone of David Tennant does a podcast with. So good. So he's just started – he released last week, I think, season two. Yeah. Um, and there was so far – and I mean you're listening to this in the, in the future so there'll be more episodes available but holy shit, it's back and his delicious voice is back in our ears. He's also just like clearly such so a great smart. interviewer. He's also just like he's yeah such a good interviewer. He's so intelligent. 
intelligent, but he's also just incredibly empathetic. Yeah. Like you can just hear him just caring so deeply about being here in the now and talking to the people he's talking to. I love him. I love him. And I'm not even like a big Doctor Who person or anything. No, nor am I. But I just love him. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good podcast. You need to listen to David Tennant does a podcast with. And my other recommendation is, okay, so for my research for this episode, yeah. I read a book that you lent me. It's an incredible book. It's called Everything Was Possible. It's by Ted Chapin. Yeah. Chapin. Yeah. Chapin, whatever. Do you know <laughs> that for sure? I do. I know his daughter. Oh, Ted Chapin. Um, so it's on the birth of the musical Follies. Spoiler alert, maybe I'll be talking about that. <laughs> it's just a really beautifully constructed book. Even if you're not familiar with the musical, you'll love the book because in it, like Ted Chapin, he has some really amazing insight into what was like a full-on cast and creative team of Follies, all these musical theatre heavies yeah. for, of, like of the last century. Yeah. And he was like a young sort of production assistant at the time. So he has this really cool sort of young lens that he looks through in the book and yeah it's just really awesome so I've also linked to um where you can find that book that's cool because yeah it yeah. wouldn't necessarily be that widely available no right? so I, it's on Amazon but I've linked to book depository because fuck you Amazon <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> yeah what do you um, recommend so mine are sort of related this week mm. so the first one is a documentary on Disney plus called Howard Ooh. and all about Howard Ashman um, and it's almost a shame that I hadn't like that I hadn't that this seen wasn't this here for Hunchback. Be- well, before the Little Mermaid and episode Little Mermaid, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's beautiful. It's on Disney Plus. Mm. It's just called Howard. It's about his life, and mm. he was just yeah. I mean, I talked about it in Hunchback. Yeah. He's just such so an incredible sad. person. Um, and also, um, sorry, not Hunchback. Um, uh. No, not Hunchback. He didn't do Hunchback. No. But did we talk about him then when we, we were talking about, about Disney? Little Shop. Little Shop. Oh, Little Shop. That's I'm like, right. no, he didn't do Hunchback. No, he was. He had already passed away then. <laughs> that's Stephen Schwartz. Yeah. Um, no, that, that was – That was yeah. my bad. I said that. Um, yeah, no, Little Shop. Oh, my God. Yeah, Little yeah. Shop. But, yes, obviously Little Mermaid and lots of other things Aww. as well. But related to that, also on Disney Plus, is another documentary that I saw years ago but was reminded of the existence of, which is called Waking Sleeping Beauty. And again, it's about that rebirth, like the Little Mermaid sort of created oh, like this rebirth of Disney like the film. animated musical yes. Disney film. Um, and it's all about that. So um, they're both excellent. And, you know, if you like musicals but also love Disney, fi- you know, Disney stuff, definitely watch both of those documentaries. That's a great recommendation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so what is our theatre explained for today? So we're talking about sort of the understudy versus a swing versus cover yeah you know, all those sorts of terms yeah cool I love it you start us off all right so yeah there's also like so we've got understudy we've got swing there's also standby yeah um basically an understudy is a member of the ensemble who also learns like a main character plot we call it or you know role yeah they perform in the ensemble for each show but can step up if like a cast member calls out yeah a swing, though, differently, is generally a person not on stage unless they're actually needed. So what would normally happen is a swing would learn multiple different plots um, and if, like, an understudy had to step up, then the swing would get yeah. into that understudy role. Um, yeah, so the swing covers multiple roles um, and the standby is similar to a swing but doesn't cover multiple roles, just covers, like, a major role. Yeah. So a standby would be, like, 
say, Elphaba in Wicked would have a standby yeah. who would just be ready to cover that major role if something happened. And you have to be within a certain distance of the theatre. That's right. Yeah. So if you've ever listened to Elaine Stritch at Liberty, oh, yeah. she was a standby for Ethel Merman in Call Me Madam. Was she? Yeah. And so at the time she was also in Pal Joey. But she had to, because of because she was a standby, she had to literally physically be in the theatre at call time in case something happened to Ethel Merman. And it yeah. wasn't until Ethel Merman gave like Elaine stretched the all clear that she could then go and be in Pal Joey. Wow. So it's just a famous story where like she has to physically be there. Because, yeah, like what if Ethel Merman broke her foot? Then yeah. that's when Elaine Stritch would have gone on. Yeah, I know with Elphaba there's all this stuff like I think they have to get a certain amount of green on just in case every night. Oh, wow. So like it's – I can't remember exactly what it is, but, yeah, like I'm sure it will come up at some point. But, yeah, there's that's a certain cool. amount of green that you have to get they have on. have to put on. Yeah, no matter what. And then I think otherwise they – and there's like ways that they get around it if you do go on on short notice. Oh, shit. Like gloves or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. right. Because I imagine there's like becoming green takes a certain amount of time. It's quite a long time. So that they have to make sure a certain amount is covered because they wouldn't be able to do yeah. that in the time allotted. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, Even yeah, though exactly. I hate Wicked, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, yeah, like sometimes you can have like an on stage swing, for example. Yes. Though I don't really see – well, I guess that the difference between that and another study is it's probably like you're still covering other ensemble roles or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's less common than yeah. than sort of those more traditional – yeah. I, I reckon it would be really hard to be any of those things. Like to be honest, oh, that would be a yeah. really tough job. Not just because you have to learn lots of different plots but also like that's hard just being yeah. in the study. Well, and like – and then you have like – in, like normally we'd call them like first cover, second cover, third yeah, cover that's right. instead of like first understudy, second, where it's like if this person is out, then Josephine goes on. If Josephine can't do it, then Ruth goes on. Yes. If Ruth and Josephine can't do it, then this person goes on, like, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine being that guy down the line. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's better than nothing. And I bet it happens all the time, you know. Oh, it'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. But um, And it's funny because when you get into like certain Broadway performers, there are some Broadway performers who just don't call out. Yeah. And we've talked about a few before, like Ethel Merman was one of them. Yeah. Mary Martin was another one. Yeah. Um, just, just performers who do, are known for not ever missing. Yeah. Which is really cool, I think. Yeah, as long as – I mean, I, the only thing I would hate is if they went on sick. super sick. Yep. Because I have seen performers go on sick and <sighs> I wish – I wish they hadn't. I think that's really selfish. I think there's also like a sense, particularly with um, actors who've originated a role that like, no, the show needs me. Yeah. But I think you've also got to serve the show a bit, like yeah. what's best for the show and the audience. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. And it, obviously it's a hard line of like to walk between, especially if you're like a star. Mm-hmm. You know, where like someone could get money back if you weren't on or whatever. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. I don't know. It's tricky. That is tricky. Yeah. It's tricky to rock a rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) You're so gangster. Right? Mm. I would say that about myself too. Same. So, should we talk about musicals? Sure. Who's first today? I am. Is that true? Yeah. I feel like you're always first. Do you? Do you just make this up? Is this propaganda? No, I like change it on my sheet every week. You're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week. Tell us. I'm going to be talking about a little show called Dear Evan Hansen. Oh. Hmm. Okay. What's your initial reaction to that? I'm sad because Do I you- don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Do you – what do you know? 
I know the plot. I know its success. I know all of the songs. Yep. I know Ben Platt's beautiful voice. I know the composers um, and I know that I think much like Rent, I don't like that everyone else likes it, <laughs> which is strange considering I love Hamilton so much. I what? think it's too teenager-y for okay, me. I right. think that's my big issue with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like teenage drama. So like – and is it just that you think it just doesn't do anything for you? It's not that you have like an objection to the show. I don't it's have more... an objection to the show. I find a lot of the music quite moving. Mm. I just think, eh. Right. It's not for you. I think it's not for me. Yeah, interesting. But I'm not going to shit all over you. <laughs> <laughs> sure you are. That's sure what, I will. That's why we're here. Uh, yeah. Um, so I saw this show for the first time off-Broadway on April 3rd, 2016. So wait, do you really like this show? I do. Okay, yeah. I only paid $34 the first time I saw it. US dollars or Australian? Uh, it was US dollars. Right. So like 700 Still very cheap, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because it was at Second Stage Theatre, oh. which at the, I think still does like an under th- – maybe it was an under 30s thing at the time. Yes, I would have still been under 30. Um, Cute. Yeah. Under 30. And so it was $34. Um, so that was really before like any of the hype had kicked off. Like yeah. I didn't really know anything about it going in. Yeah. I just knew that it was a new show – by Pasek and Paul, it had some good buzz and yeah. that I wanted to see it. Um, and I have to say it's maybe the hardest I've ever cried in a theatre wow. seeing it that first time. Um, I've not had that reaction seeing it since really. Yeah, but like right. that first time not knowing anything, yeah. it was palpable. Like I was sobbing and so was like the entire audience. That's how I feel about Big Fish. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for us to talk about that because I don't really like that show. That's so weird. Yeah, you were I loved so wrong. that. I loved that time. The twelve chairs at the Hayes. production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, on Broadway, I did not feel that way. Um, so I don't. I don't necessarily think that Jeremy Hansen is a perfect show. I mean, like what is? But I do think that it is very special and, uni- and unique in a lot of ways. And I love that it's a completely original musical, like not adapted from anything, which is like yeah, that's cool and rare. so rare. Yeah, so rare. So I really love that about it. Yeah. Um, so music and lyrics by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul and mm. book by Stephen Levinson. Um, uh, the story. Quite a team. Huh? That's a good team. Like, yeah, that's right. Great, great team. Um, and so Stephen Levinson had had a bit of success with plays before yeah. this, but hadn't written a musical. Um, and they came together and yeah. obviously since then Stephen Levinson. Yeah, has done. Career has really right. taken off. Yeah. Um, is doing all these adaptations of things and worked on. Fossey Verdon and like, you know. Um, How good was Fossey Verdon? Oh, so fucking good. Ugh. Loved it. So Evan Hansen is a teenager in high school with an overworked single mother and he suffers from like debilitating social anxiety. Um, after one of his classmates, Connor Murphy, commits suicide, Evan is mistakenly believed to be Connor's friend and goes along with the lie, partly because he has a crush on Connor's sister Zoe. Um, basically the lie balloons as a speech Evan gives about his friendship with Connor goes viral on the internet and the, you know, perfect on paper Murphy family accept him as one of their own. And it's basically about that and then what ensues after that. Mm. Um, I think it's important to give some background to Pasek and Paul as yes. composers. Yeah. Um, cause it's our first time talking about them. 
So they met as students at the University of Michigan where they were studying, they were literally studying like musical theatre performance, um, but they just kept not getting cast in anything. Like they thought they were like... Me too, guys. (laughs) They were like really, you know, they were like, yeah, we're triple threats kind of thing. And then like they just like not kept not getting roles. So instead they were like, fuck it, let's write our own show. Love. So um, literally like while some production was happening, they wrote the song cycle Edges. By the way, the title of which is a nod to Merrily We Roll Along. The edges are blurring all around and yesterday is done. That's what it's – which I actually didn't know that. I've I've known that song cycle for years and didn't know that that was a reference. Well, it's not a very obvious reference. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, Lots of things have edges. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this becomes essentially the first musical to like go viral as it were – on like Facebook and YouTube in their early days. Yeah. So um, they just, they got really good at like getting it around the other colleges in America and they pitched the show to a bunch of other colleges and within a year, 13 other colleges performed the show. Wow. Around America. That's huge. That's um, a big deal. Yeah. Like massive. Yeah. And I, I've always loved, like I'm about to tell another story that's kind of similar kind of like the chutzpah of their like career Mm. they just yeah love it so this has to be one of my favorite musical theater origin stories nice so justin paul um does an internship with jeff marks the co-writer of avenue q um and in new york and he encourages them to stay for the summer in new york and like really try to like capitalize on connections the momentum Yeah. Yeah, yeah and like they had a bit of momentum in their career and like use the connections, like do a cabaret, like all that stuff. But basically like Justin Paul doesn't have the money to do that and he he wants to like go back and do like musical director a summer stock because he needs money like for the summer. And so um, Jeff Marks lends him $7,000 on the proviso that he only has to pay it back if and when he has a Broadway show open before he turns 30. (gasps) That is so nice. Yeah. And so Justin Paul repays him on the opening night of A Christmas Story in 2012, Fucking which opened yes. before they turned 30. Uh. Yeah. Um, I just like – what That's a amazing. fucking great story. Like, also, like, imagine feeling like he's a really celebrated Broadway writer who is believing in me, like, yeah. to, the, to the tune of $7,000. Yeah. And I've seen interviews with Pasek and Paul since and they were like, yeah, it really, like, it they needed to been, do that. Yeah. Like, they say they did, like – a cabaret, I think at like Joe's Pub or something like that. Yes. And they really did make some connections that started their career off. That's you know? incredible. Yeah. Ah. So um, Pasek and Paul had been discussing sort of this idea or something like this since college about how communities deal with grief. Um, it was inspired by something that had happened to Benj Pasek in high school. Um, like obviously something happened, but this idea that way that like the modern world, we can almost end up with like grief porn. You know, like where yeah. people just become obsessed with sort of grieving and the way that we grieve and maybe not like like overemphasizing it almost and that sort of thing. So that was sort of the inspiration. So after several years of development and workshops, the show has an out-of-town tryout at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. in 2015. Hmm. Um, it then has an off-Broadway run at Second Stage Theatre from March 26, 2016 to May 29, 2016, which is when I saw it. Um, and the show then transfers to Broadway and starts previews at the Music Box Theatre on Broadway on November 14th, 
14th, 2016, and has been running since, since then. Yeah, wow. Um, so it received nine Tony Award nominations and won six um, at the – would be the 2017 Tonys. So that was – it won Best Musical, Best Score, Best Book, Ben Platt won Best Leading Actor, and Rachel Bay Jones, who plays um, his mother, uh, won Best Featured Actress, and it also won Best Orchestrations. Which I think is it's Alex Lacamoire who yes. also did Hamilton and yeah yeah. Um, the London production began previews on October 29th, two thousand and nineteen, at the Noel Cowers Theatre. I didn't realize there was such a gap actually in time yeah, between the two. Yeah, a few years. I yeah. thought it would have been sooner than that. Yeah, that is quite long actually yeah. for like for a very for successful. A, that's show. right for a blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> that production has been na- nominated for seven Olivier Awards. Oh wow! But the two thousand and twenty Olivier Awards ceremony was due to take place on April 5th, but they haven't, like, obviously got postponed because of COVID, but they haven't yet announced, like, what they're going to do. Like, Oh, there's so, no, like, alternative? Yeah, or, like, they've been nominated for... They can't just, for, like, announce the winners? Yeah, they've been nominated for seven awards, but, like, nothing's happened. Interesting. Yeah, so um, the film adaptation has also been in the works for a few years, and in June it was announced that Ben Platt will be reprising his role as Evan. Um, he has said, like... <laughs> you think he's too old? So old. Yeah, I think he's like 27 or 28. Oof. I think he looked too old when he was younger, like yeah. when he actually played it. Like he has said like it ha- like he'll only do it if it's filmed very soon kind of thing. Yeah, like, we'll have to be. I think he knows. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's got a stunning voice. Yeah. Oh, he's 26. I wrote that down. <laughs> he's 26. <laughs> <laughs> but he's playing what? A 17-year-old? 16. Yeah, yeah 17, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, no. Um, it's also been announced that Caitlin Deva, Deva, um, will be Zoe. She was in Unbelievable, you know, oh, on Netflix. Yes, yes. And Booksmart, the movie Booksmart with Was Beanie she Feldstein. the main girl in Unbelievable? She was the girl that get the first girl that gets attacked. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's really great. Yeah. Um, and they've also like literally just recently announced that. The role of Alana will be played by Amanda Stenberg, um, who has done quite a bit, but um, I guess one of the biggest things is she was Rue in The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, and they've said that like it – I was just about to say, isn't she a small child? But that was probably well, like – she was. It was like eight years ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, and it, Time. That, yeah. <laughs> that role will be expanded with a song written for the character, um, which she's actually going to collaborate with Pasek and Paul on because she's also a songwriter. Um, so, yeah, that's very cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, the show has also been adapted into a young adult novel that was released in 2018. I didn't know that. Yeah, which I also think is quite cool. That is cool. Mm. I actually think it would work better as a young adult novel. Yeah. Like in terms of the story. Yeah, like I know like I've I've heard interviews with Pasek and Paul where like Stephen Levinson had sort of written the script and they were like, how can we put songs in this great script? Yes. Like they really like loved it. Yeah. As a, yeah. as a play, basically. Um, so Ben Platt, Rachel Bay Jones, Jennifer Laura Thompson and Michael Park were all with the show right from the very first reading through to Broadway. Fascinating. Which is very cool. Um, Michael Park, who um, plays Zoe and Connor's dad, he couldn't do the second stage production as he was in Tuck Everlasting on Broadway. But aside from that, he was with it all the oh, way cool. through. Um, one of the things that I think is quite cool is like we often talk about how in musical theatre – you know, the characters sing when, like, words aren't enough mm. to say, you know, what needs to be said. Um, in the case of Evan, this is especially true because 
his social anxiety often renders him like basically speechless. Like yeah. doesn't can't talk to people, but he can, we can see him articulate his thoughts and feelings clearly when he sings. Um, I like that sort of um, explanation for the absurdity that can be singing in the middle yeah. of, of yeah. drama, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. But I, I think, and I also think that that's just like, we talked about it with Hunchback where it's like a character who's basically deaf but can sing his thoughts, you yeah. know, like, so we it's still. It's cool, yeah. The yeah. power of song. Exactly. Um, so one of the major criticisms of the show is that Evan essentially like gets away with his big lie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, like it has no long-term consequences, consequences for yeah. him. But, and like, I sort of wrote this, but like, does every story we have to tell show consequences like have the character learn a lesson because the more I thought about it the more I was like well you know what probably his whole town would have forgotten what happened yeah you know like like but also like isn't it enough that we all understand the awfulness of that situation and how it must have felt for him like surely that's the point of the story is like watching it you're like oh shit he must feel so uncomfortable and awkward at the way that this lie has snowballed we don't really need to see how other people react to it we yeah. know how they would react yeah. to it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm with you that I just don't th- – I don't think we need everything to be laid out for us. I think I think probably part of what people don't like is that, um, you know, I guess there's that thing of like you don't want to teach – it's that thing of like setting an example, right? Like you don't want to teach kids that like telling a big lie like that is okay. Mm. But I, I agree. I think that we see Evan go through enough pain – in telling the lie yes. that they learn the lesson in another way. I agree. I certainly made me uncomfortable about lying and yeah. I was such a liar beforehand. <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen changed your life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lie. But yeah, like it just had me thinking about that. Like, mm. well also does, is Dear Evan Hansen is the purpose of it to teach kids lessons? Like, no, I mean, I guess the, I guess I have the such point is with. like, the target audience, well, certainly what has become the target audience is like te- it's very popular amongst teenagers. But right? then I think it is all teenage media supposed to be teaching people well, lessons? Well, that's right. Like and what I about think that TV adults show? Think it is. It's so bullshit. Like yeah. I, most of the stuff I watch is about serial killers. It's not teaching me anything. I just watch it for entertainment and that's yeah. okay. That's right. Um, yeah. It's just it's like I, I've been thinking about it a lot like these last couple of weeks about does it does does everything have to have like a moral mm. like does it yes. does the does the good person have to win at the end of it you know like yes, for sure but also how realistic is that really yeah that's why right we, why would we perpetuate that yeah and sometimes you tell a big lie and you get away with it right and like how about we tell that story instead like let's look at all the people who've told lies and they just get off scot-free yeah it's interesting it, it also that in terms of the entertainment it's a more interesting story yeah. If, if, yeah. Anyway, I guess part of it is probably people want to want to see. So, like you know, I'm not spoiling anything, but the way it sort of happens in the show is that um, we get to the point of the lie gets uncovered, and then we basically cut to like a year later. Yeah. Um, and although, like, it's not like you know, it's not like he still gets the girl and all that sort of thing. Like, it's not like that sort of thing happens. No. But it's sort of like he is at peace and his life has moved on and everyone's lives have moved on. Yeah. So it's not like the music man where you get to just be a criminal and then get the girl. Well, like, you know, we talked about with Oklahoma where they just like kill someone and get away with it. They just literally murder a guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just yeah, just it it's it's, it's an interesting thought I think with this show. I think it's really valid. Yeah. I'm actually sick of people thinking that shit has to like have a moral yeah. or or teach a lesson or Yeah. Yeah. I think I am too. Yeah, stop it patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> um one negative that I do want to highlight is that Considering none of the characters have any pre-existing reason to be cast as like by you know with a white person, that is tended to be how all of them except Alana have been cast. Mm. So like it's sort of changing now. So like Jordan Fisher, who's cu- was currently playing Evan on Broadway, is black. Yeah. Um, but like he was the first to do that. Yeah. Um, the West End cast, I'm pretty sure it's like just Alana who's black. Like. Mm. But, like, even the fact that Alana has always, like, been cast as black is really a sign of, like, tokenism yes. and not, yeah. you know, like, it's 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 sort of ridiculous. But um, Yeah, well, there's I, nothing about her character specifically that has to be. No. That's so but instead they're, like, we've just, they've just made that the black character, Ugh. you know? Like, it's it's bad. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm guessing that that is part of why this whole, like, you know, expanding the character of Alana in the film and, like, like, I'm sure that's what that's come from. Even the fact that in the film, Alana is black again. Yeah. Like, can we, can we have... Well, I, I don't mind her being black. I no, would like I think that's great. A lot can of we have, the rest of the cast. Can we have other, we have other characters who are yeah. black as well? I mean, sorry, not to be white. Yeah. Um, I also, like, I don't know what you think about this, but obviously this show was, like, wildly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I think it has a lot to do with Ben Platt's performance in the role. It's... Actually, in my opinion, the only reason why the show is successful. Oh, interesting. Or like so not successful in terms of I'm sure people who saw the production loved it for a good reason. Yeah. But I think in terms of how popular like the cast recording has been and how much it's sort of caught fire from an audience who haven't watched it, it's all Ben Platt. Yeah. Like I have no doubt that that is what it's about. Yeah. It's the only thing that attracted me to begin with. Yeah. It's the only reason why I've listened to the cast recording. And he is so good. He's in it. flawless. Yeah. And also, like, what I think about Ben Platt now, because I was sort of introduced to him through this show, yeah, is that this is sort of this is him, like that he is Evan Hansen, mm. and I don't know if he's sort of as versatile as maybe some other music theater performers. Oh, interesting. I think that love. he isn't Evan Hansen. I think that he's brought a lot of himself to the role. Yes, but actually, I it's more just that like. Um, the things that made his performance great are the aspects of him that we really like. Yeah, yeah, that's probably um, true. Well, like, did you did you like the politician? Did you watch that? And yeah, like I've it? watched the first season. I haven't watched the second season yet. Um, we didn't like it. I, I just, I'm not. But I mean, I'm like, I'm not a huge like Ryan Murphy. That's fan true. generally. Yeah. I just found it a bit like over the top. It was all. so over the top. Yeah, but I like appreciated some of it. I don't know. Mm. I'm, I am probably going to watch the second season at some stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know I do. Like I do. And I, I mean, his voice is so good. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful and like voice. a lot of his original stuff is quite good as well. Like yep. his pop songs. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, know. it's just an interesting one because it's like, it's just, it was like a fever pitch when oh, yeah. you know, he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's yeah. And I think he's awesome. I really do think he's awesome. I just don't know if this show is is that awesome. Like I'll be interested to see how it goes in Australia. Mm. You know? Yeah. Where we don't have... Ben Platt. Well, and we don't have like the like 
further like even like in London they've still they will have heard of the show because of New York but yeah. has the show sort of reached yeah is it over here really yeah yeah that'll be interesting well I mean it's not Priscilla is it <laughs> sorry talking, that's like the only Australian show you name no I think Australian audiences are so dumb yeah right. that's what I think <laughs> sorry I'll tell you that Priscilla isn't the sort of show that does well here it's Disney yeah but that's now like Recently, right? Because Priscilla would have done well. The back original in the day. Priscilla, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, Disney's also what does well on Broadway too. Yeah, sometimes, mm. sometimes, but like Mary Poppins did better here than it has anywhere around the world. Yeah, for example, also, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um. So gateway songs. <gasps> so obviously, waving through a window. Yeah. Let's listen to Ben Platt just sing the shit out of that. It's also like, it's a cute song. It's a great song. Yeah. It's, I remember playing it. You said um, that really aggressively. What? It's a great song. It's a great song. Like, Reef, I'm not arguing with you on this one. <laughs> I remember playing it um, like just straight after the cast recording came out before the show was really big. In fact, no, it was when they just released that song. Yeah. Because they released that song um, earlier. And as a single and playing it for like friends of ours that are into musical theatre and like, trust me, you are going to become obsessed with this song. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. And they were kind of like, oh, yeah. Like, and I was then like, as soon as he starts to yeah. <coughs> sing funny. his big notes. Oh, yeah. What else? Um, You'll Be Found, which ends the first act. Sure, yeah. Which I think is great. And I have to say that like it's a great song but also the staging of that number in the show I really love. They actually – what. What you haven't mentioned so much of is the staging of this production. Yeah, because, which is incredible. Well, and they use projections in a way that, like, uh, is very clever. It's almost – it's not on the scale of um, Curious Incident, for example, yeah. but it's definitely, like, it's quite groundbreaking in some of the yes. ways that it uses projections yeah. and vision and, yeah, like, really sparse set elements, which I also – cool. I didn't mention it, but I actually think that they've managed to avoid being too specific with their social media references. Yeah, that's true. In fact, there was a song in it that was – all about social media that got cut apparently mm. when they realised that it would date itself very yeah, quickly. Yeah, of course, of course. But although the projections do have like images of Facebook and Twitter and things like this, yeah. um, like the actual show itself doesn't really. But also like if it's just – if it's only mentioned in projections, that can be updated. Exactly. Like you could turn it into TikTok and Snapchat yeah. or whatever. If you wanted to, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Me saying that as if I know what the kids are using. Yeah. Is that what kids are using? <laughs> like lots of them I don't are on TikTok. Know. They're definitely on TikTok. I am not. No, God. I'm too old. Why would we be? I just watch it when people repost TikToks on their Instagram stories. I need someone to like Twitter. I need you to sort out what's good. And yeah, just send me that. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, you'll be found, which ends the first act. Um, beautiful song, and then I've gone for "For Forever" um, as my third gateway song. Sure. Just like beautiful. They're very samey, those songs. Are they? Yeah. Did Would you, you have picked anything else? I mean, you've already mentioned um, what's the one where the mother sings about the dad. Oh, so big, so small. Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty good. I guess I just like. I those... also like Only Us. Oh, that is a beautiful song. But like to me, Only Us is like just a really re beautiful duet once you know the show. Do you reckon? I think it's more like a classically beautiful duet. Yeah, but it's also kind of like it doesn't tell me a lot about it doesn't tell me a lot about the show. Is that how you're classifying gateway songs? I yeah, probably should like, have asked you this it's before episode nineteen. Introduction 19. to the show. Okay, yeah. The the gateway, <laughs> the gateway to the show. I love that. Only now am I clarifying yeah, what you think 19. a gateway is. 
<laughs> yeah. Of course. So there's only the original Broadway cast um, available, obviously. But what I am linking to is not just the album, but a playlist that also has all the extra tracks that are on the, the deluxe album. Nerd. So there's like five extra songs, which includes a bunch of cut songs mm. and like, it's just like an acoustic version of one song and like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm linking to that. And well, that is you. Dear Evan Hansen. How do you feel now that you've done that? Yeah, good. I still really like the show. I've seen it. I've You're seen allowed. It on, I've seen it off Broadway. I saw it on, I've seen it on Broadway twice and I've seen it in London. So yeah, I've seen it quite a few times. That's pretty But cool. like I, and I've like maybe cried a little. In those other times, but that first time, yeah, the it was first like, time's the only time I saw Ben Platt as well. Oh, I see. Yeah, because so, he wasn't really he wasn't on there for that long, was he? He was in it for a year. Yeah. So I would have seen him the first time I saw it on Broadway, but he was on holidays that week, so I saw an understudy. Yes. Um, and then I saw Andrew Bart Feldman, the like the really young oh, yeah, yeah. guy um, who, who we spoke great. about about um, when we were talking about I Love Betsy and one yeah. of our mixtapes and how he won the Jimmy the Awards. Jimmy's yeah yeah so was um, he good I really liked him he's very he to me has more of that teenage energy that I think like a Evan huge amount of charisma have. as yeah. well yeah. yeah obviously not the voice that Ben Platt has no and like I have to say that I think the guy I saw in London had a really nice high voice but like. It is high. It's very and it's so consistently high. It's not just like a couple of high notes. I did. I really enjoyed. I was listening to like some interview thing like in the last week, and they they were asking like, "What's everyone's favorite like musical moment in the show that like you don't do?" Yeah, and like um, Ben Platt was like, "I like it when Will Rowland, you know, who plays the friend, like yeah, the yeah. funny friend, sings a seated B in Sincerely Me at the end of Sincerely Me. So he has to crazy. hit a B at the end. He's like sitting down. Jesus. Yeah." And you don't realise it because it's no. like in a – you know, it's like in harmony and – Yeah. Yeah. It's like fucking high. <laughs> that's really – yeah, that's so high, guys. Yeah, especially for like Shit. the Jared, you know, the random friend character to have to sing. <laughs> Imagine that audition too. Like, look, it's not a big part of your role but you have to be able to do this. Yeah. This hard, hard thing. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hear my story? I, of course I do. Ruth, I'm going to talk to you about Follies. Yes. More Sondheim. More Sondheim. 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 Okay. Music, music by Stephen Sondheim. Books by James. Books. Book by James Goldman, who are uh, the same amazing dream team who brought us the magic that is Evening Primrose. Yes. I was going to say, like, we've talked about him before. And we will continue to talk about him. As we found out, he's the brother of William Goldman, the author of Princess Brad. Not to be confused with William Golding, the author of Lord of the Flies. Who I confused him with. Yes, you did. So you probably don't know this, but I think this is like the last Sondheim show that I fell in love with. Yeah, right. Like Merrily kind of was for me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the most recent one that I've like completely fallen in love with. And not because, like I think I sort of knew about it on the periphery of my Sondheim knowledge, but I was so obsessed with, you know, like Sunday in the Park that, it just didn't quite penetrate. And I think it's a show that I think I needed to be a little bit older to fall in love with. Mm. I think this is his saddest show. Yeah, definitely. And I love a bit of pathos. Like, <laughs> in case you don't know that about me, listeners. Yeah. So here we go. Here's Follies. The basic plot is the show is set in the early 70s at the made-up Weissman Theatre, which is about to be demolished. Um, there's a reunion that's happening for the Weissman Follies, which is based on the Ziegfeld Follies. So the Weissman Follies is a review show that was held sort of between the world wars and all the showgirls from those shows are returning to the theatre for a reunion before it gets demolished. The main characters are two couples. So there's Sally and Buddy and then Ben and Phyllis. 
and um, they're all sort of in their like fifties or so when 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 the show's happening. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like washed up showgirls and their partners. So the two women were both showgirls at the Follies, and Ben and Buddy were best friends um, when they when they were younger, like courting the girls. Both couples are very unhappy. So Ben is like this really aloof. He's like a politician, you know, super successful politician, and he just doesn't really like. He doesn't pay his wife any attention, Phyllis. Um, and so she feels really neglected and, yeah, so they're unhappy. And then Sally is hopelessly in love with Ben and her husband Buddy knows it. Yeah. And also like has a steady girlfriend on the side because he's sort of That's sick right. of his wife not yeah. loving him. Um, so during the show the characters' younger selves frequently mirror what the characters are doing, which is probably my favourite part of the whole thing. Yeah, like so, there's literally actors who play the yeah. younger ones who kind of mirror. That's yeah. right. So you've got like Sally and young Sally and Phyllis and young Phyllis. And yeah. it's not like they're in different scenes. They're in the same scenes. So you'd have yeah. like older Phyllis and then you'd have her young like showgirl version and it's so, so. It's like beautiful. It's beautiful. There are even, there's a scene where, I can't remember if it's Sally or if it's Phil. I think it's Sally where, Young Sally comes down and like dances. So there's like three. Yes. It's like Sally and Young Sally and Ben are dancing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically by the end of the show, everyone's had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. That's it. That's the plot. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of unhappiness in the middle. Like Ben is sort of like he has these like, will does he love Sally back? Does he not love Sally back? Is he just a dickhead? Is Sally, like Sally's a crazy alcoholic. Is she really in love with Ben or is she just in love with love or she's just unhappy with Buddy or like she's, yeah. And then Buddy is like, he really loves Sally, but she doesn't love him. And he just like, his girlfriend's really nice, but he wishes he could commit to her, but he can't because he's in love with his wife. And yeah, there's lots yeah. of this shit. And then there's all the other like um, showgirl characters who each sort of have a moment, a really, they're all really cool moments. Yeah. So you see like these really, all of them like super highly strung you know, pretty awful characters actually and how they're dealing with their lives and how their lives ended up after they were showgirls really. Yeah. Would you have anything to add to that plot? That's Yeah, I just, uh, just – well, and also like all I would say is like so the cast is mostly made up of a lot of older Older, older that's people. right. Yeah. It's sort of – because I was thinking about it, apart from like 70 Girls 70. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the only shows that really the primary cast and like a big – because it's an ensemble cast really. You do have those four main characters but it is an ensemble cast. The primary cast are like in their 50s and 60s. And because Some I, of them are even older. And because like often like the those four main ones are often the – some of the youngest of the that's right, you know, show, yeah. showgirls who are coming back because each right? of the showgirls, like, say, some of the showgirls were in the Weissman Follies in like in say the twenties, yeah. But then, like, maybe Sally was in there in like the late thirties or whatever. So yeah, there's quite an yeah. age difference between the showgirls. Um, I can't remember the name of the really old one, but she's like eighty, or she's the supposed one to be like the eighty. Opera yeah, that's song? right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so you get – it's all that sort of through story. And like a lot of other sometime – well, not so many others, but it's also just set on like one night. Yeah. But there are flashbacks. So I like that. I like the immediacy of a story that's just – it's just tonight. It's um, it's funny. My sort of feelings about Follies are that it has some of the stuff that I like love so much in yeah. it. But I don't know that it works fully as a show for me. Interesting. Mostly like the last 20 minutes or so. For me, the mania of the last 20 minutes is like the best. Yeah, and I think that that is where you have to get to with it. Yes. Like, like, but I think like 
as an average punter, yeah, it's quite alienating. Well, so what's interesting is, and I'm going to tell you what the critics thought of it, and that will really reiterate your comments yeah. and mine, really. So that's a really basic plot. There's a lot more that happens, but um, yeah, some background. Okay, so it's 1965, and do I hear a waltz? had just been a huge flop. Yeah. So Sondheim wrote the lyrics and Richard Rogers wrote the music on Do I Hear a Waltz. Sondheim decided he would only thereafter work on shows where he could write the music and the lyrics, mainly because Do I Hear a Waltz had been really tricky. So Richard Rogers was like a chronic alcoholic, treated Sondheim like absolute yeah. shit, like like a piece of shit. And I can't – Sondheim's pretty tight-lipped about it, but I can't imagine how devastating it would be to have like your – your mentor, your hero's partner, well, and like just like Mary denigrate Rogers you that is much. Like one of his best friends. Well, as and well. Mary Rogers is the reason. So Mary Rogers is Richard Rogers' daughter. Yeah, Mary Rogers is the reason why Sondheim was involved in Do I Hear a Waltz. Yeah. So like, yeah, just a lot of shit. And so Sondheim actually says it's it's actually the show, the only show he regrets yeah, being wow. involved in, which is a pretty big deal considering that Sondheim's had a lot of ups and downs in yeah. his career. This is the one he regrets. Um. The show was doomed. Like, Do I Hear a Waltz was doomed from the beginning. Yeah. So he got off that and was like, never again will I work with another composer. So he invited James Goldman to work on Follies with him. Right. It was inspired by a New York Times article about a reunion of former Ziegfeld Follies showgirls. Yep. It was a really long development process, like super long. They went through a few producers and a few directors and as I mentioned in the Evening Primrose episode, they wrote Evening Primrose in the middle of developing Follies. Well, and like where does funny thing happen on the way of the forum fall? That has already happened. Was that before Do I Hear a Waltz? Yes, that yeah. had already happened. Um, and yet company is about to come in as well. Okay, like right. it's a, this is a really busy time for yeah. some time. So he's, he's writing Follies. He wrote Evening Primrose in the middle um, because they just needed some cash coming in. But the show didn't start. So that was like 1965 they really started. The show didn't start tryouts until 71. Wow, So yeah. it's a, like a really long six-year development process. Hal Prince came on board to produce and direct only on the proviso that Sondheim would actually work on company with him. Yeah, right. Which was an excellent decision. But like – in, like Sondheim started and finished company before Follies was done. Yeah. So um, Michael Bennett also came on board for Follies. He'd choreographed company. So he co-directed with Hal Prince and he choreographed. Oh. So it was like a literal dream team. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I knew that about Michael Bennett. Yeah. Or like it hadn't sort of stuck in my brain. Yeah, that's right. And well, I think because he, he was quite young, like he was super young for company. Yeah. I'm trying to think he like he was probably in his 20s. Um, and yeah, like he'd blown everyone away with his choreography on company. Yeah. He'd done something really big before that, but I'm trying to think what it was. I can't think what it was. Yeah. Anyway, so it, Follies went into tryouts at the Colonial Theatre in Boston, um, from February 1971 and, and it stayed for a month. Then it opened in April 1971 at the Winter Garden Theatre, one of the bigger Broadway theatres, which seats, um, 1500 people. So like yeah. pretty. Yeah. So that's where... Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice was Yeah, I'm in just there. about to tell you about that oh, actually. Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, no, you're right. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, so the original cast featured like a bunch of Broadway and Fordville veterans because like you said, the cast are older. Yeah. So the characters, they're all in their 50s and 60s. Some, like one of my, I didn't even know this until I read the book, but one of my all-time favourite 
stars of like golden age movie musicals was Gene Nelson. Okay. He played um, Will Parker in Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. And he was also in a bunch of Doris Day movie musicals. Yeah. And I'm a big Doris Day fan. Um, So he is wonderful. He was in Follies. Anyways, Follies closed in 1972 after 522 performances and 12 previews, which when you say it like that sounds like that's good, like 522 performances, it was a fucking massive flop. Really? Listen to this. Get get a load of this shit. Even though it had like what is – it's more than a year's worth of a run. Yeah. It lost all of its money. Wow. (laughs) There are a couple of different figures bandied around. The most common seems to be $792,000 that the show lost. Yeah. Which in that was in 1972. Yeah. In today's money, that is 4.5 million US dollars. Yeah. Which, although like that's tiny for a show now, oh, that back then, that's it would have been massive. Huge. Yeah. It's a huge deal. So critics were really split down the middle, like improperly split. Split in the book that I've mentioned earlier, everything is possible. Um, the foreword is written by this New York Times critic, um, Frank Rich. Oh yeah. And so here's a quote. Critics are either passionately pro or con, but rarely on the fence. It's theatrically lavish, but its mood is downbeat. Its storytelling plays tricks with time that are poetic to its fans, but disorienting gimmickry to less sympathetic onlookers, which is exactly what you said. The principal characters are narcissistic, unpleasant, and prone to onstage nervous breakdowns, yet the sometime songs they sing are now classics of the musical theatre repertoire, full of heart, even when they delineate arid disappointing lives oh god yeah which is so true so like critics were either like this is amazing or they were like this is terrible and confusing and sad and yeah and and sometimes gimmickry and a lot of people thought that because because it's about a show that that existed in like the 20s and 30s a lot of the songs are they they sound like they're vaudeville songs they sound like they're trunk songs so a lot of a lot of critics were like, I don't get the point of why we're listening to songs that are just vaudeville acts. So there was it was very mixed. I think it's a lot more clever than that. Yeah, so do I. Like a lot more. And and some critics really do. Like there are some critics who say it's one of the best musicals of all time. Yeah. So yeah, very mixed. Um it's <laughs> I think it's a tough one to stomach for most audiences because it's so bleak. Yeah. I think that's actually the biggest problem. So the characters are genuinely pretty awful. Yeah. And their breakdowns and their like neuroses are sometimes really hard to watch. Like, and it's sort of yeah. relentless. Like it's sort of a relentless breakdown and everyone is so disappointed all the time. <laughs> but the songs are really stunning. Yeah. Like there's no real, it's almost there's like no you, you keep in the like, like the last 20 minutes and the sort of higher energy aspects of it almost to counteract that. Yeah. So Even though we're seeing their breakdown. That's right. Well, so what Ruth's sort of talking about is in the last 20 minutes, it's almost like a mini vaudeville show within the show where it's really high energy and it's they're all the main four main characters are having a breakdown, all of them, and they're sort of like doing it through the mode, the medium of like an, an act. Yeah. A vaudeville act. So it's very high energy, but it's very heavy at the same time because they're all breaking down. So there have actually been so many productions. Yeah. I didn't realize. Um and there's also no real definitive version of the show because it's been updated and revised okay. so many times. Yeah. A bit like chess, but not as crazy as, not as drastic as the changes yeah. in chess. So the year after it closed on Broadway, it went to LA. It didn't do very well. In fact, it was actually supposed to go on like a national tour after LA, but that tour got canned got because of how poorly it wow. did in LA. There was also a staged concert in 1985. Listen to this. At the Lincoln Center, 
1985, Mandy Patinkin played Buddy, not the oh. young Buddy. Oh. Even though he was 30 years younger than the woman playing Sally. Oh, my God. Isn't that random? Yeah. When I read that, I was like, must be a typo. He must have played young Buddy. Yeah. But no. No, he didn't. Oh. So then it opened on the West End in 1987. It closed after 644 performances. Oh, yeah. That one was produced by Cameron McIntosh. And he'd actually asked Sondheim to make quite a few changes. So, like, Goldman had updated the book a lot and Sondheim made a few changes. Like, some songs were removed, some were added. Okay. Um, Critics who had seen the original Broadway production thought that the West End had tried to, like, get rid of a lot of the darkness and in doing so had sort of missed the point. Right. But British critics who hadn't seen the Broadway production loved it. Uh. Like, it got a a standing ovation on opening night. Yeah. One... Critic famously said that it was worth the 16-year wait for it to get to the West right. End. Like, yeah, so uh, it's a it's a tough one. So since then there have been so many productions. It's had a 2001 Broadway revival, a 2002 West End revival, a 2002 LA production, 2007 Encores production, okay. which was I think in commemoration of its like 40th production. Right. Um, a 2011 Kennedy Center production and subsequent Broadway revival. So that's the one I saw. Yes, yep. that, the Bernadette Peters yep. one. Yep. Um, a 2012 LA production, 2013 French concert, a 2016 Australian concert, and the incredibly perfect 2017 National Theatre yeah. revival, which I will talk about. So the National Theatre 2017 run was filmed and released in theatres. I saw it at the cinemas with me. With you, it is stunning. Yeah. It's just stunning. Yeah, and then I saw it, so they did a return season. Yes, in 2019, yeah. I think. So yeah, so I saw it then. So it was a slightly, like, Imelda Staunton wasn't in it and I don't think Philip Quast was in it. Oh, but, right. But pretty much everyone else same was. Same production otherwise. Yeah. Like, pr- pretty much the rest of the cast was the same. Wow. Yeah. You have to track down this recording of yeah. the National Theatre. It's so amazing. Oh, shit. The set... So beautiful. The cast, holy fuck. I think I've said it before, but that theatre at the National Theatre, the Olivier Theatre, is like my favourite theatre in the world. It's so beautiful. Just like this beautiful big thrust stage. And that's where I saw Hadestown for the first time. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, um, it's just amazing. So, some notable cast from those, like, lots of productions I just mentioned are Denny Burstein and Bernadette Peters as Buddy and Sally for the Broadway revival that you saw. Yeah. Did you rate them? Yeah, I think Danny Burstein is such a good buddy. Yeah. It's such a cool character. I think Buddy's my favourite character. He's probably the only one I actually feel any sympathy for. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is purposeful. Yeah. Um, What did you think of Bernadette Peters as Sally? Yeah, she was – I mean, like, I was just so excited to be seeing Bernadette Peters on stage. Yeah. I will say that I feel like it was at a time when Bernadette Peters' voice was changing a lot. Yeah. And she was just – I think now she has a bit more control over what her voice – as an older person yes. is. You can watch some videos of her doing Losing My Mind around this time and it's quite uncontrolled. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, she's, as always, captures, like, vulnerability and, and, yeah. and acts the shit out of everything. Yeah, she out of Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, vocally. Yeah, vocally, yeah. Because I think I saw, I saw her in concert maybe a year or two around this time, like, in Australia when she came, maybe, like, 2013. Oh, yeah. Something like that. And it was a similar thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, that's that's just women and hormones, and that's really normal. Yeah. So, um, that's it. Like, I don't, and like, like we said, she's a like one of the most incredible fu- fucking actresses ever, oh, right? Although, 
Imelda Staunton oh, yeah, is the – she is Sally for me. She's the ultimate Sally. And I think Philip Quast is also the ultimate Ben. Yeah. So – Yes, he's so good he's as He's so good. But I know we talk about Imelda Staunton a lot. There's a reason why. She is so goddamn good. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought she was an – like at first – when I first heard she was being Sally, I was like, mm, I don't know. Like I don't know if physically she's the right fit. She was perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. Oh, my God. It's like I don't even have the word. Like yeah. I think the reason we think Bernadette Peters is such a good actress is because she's so vulnerable, right? Like she's she, so vulnerable, She can just yeah. kind of like go into anything. But Imelda Staunton is like a chameleon on stage. Oh, yes. When you – what I recommend you do, which I've done every day this week, is you watch her – in the in Follies doing Losing My Mind on YouTube and then you straight away watch her do Rose's turn. Yeah. And you just marvel at where she can go. Yeah. How at times vulnerable and other times just so, oh, it's, yeah. And then like you just oh. think about like her film career and like all the I other know. things she's done. I know. What, what shits me is because I was, I was on a YouTube in a rabbit hole and all these like, all these kids were like, is this Professor Dolores Umbridge? And I'm like, she's so much more. Yeah. She's so much more But then, than like, that. she's so good in Harry she's Potter She's so as good well. in Harry like, Potter. I know. That's right. Yeah. So, anyway, I've actually – I'm going to link to all of those videos that I've just yeah. mentioned because the – her doing Losing My Mind is, like, you will lose your mind. You really will. Holy shit. Um, one thing I want to mention with casting, mm. the 2016 Australian concert starred Lisa McCune as Sally – Oh, okay. Yeah, we saw Quast also has been there. Oh, I didn't know that. What do you think of that? Uh, I just. I don't like her. You don't like her generally, do you? I, I thought she was good in South weak. Pacific. I think she's just got a weak I liked her in South Pacific. I just. I almost also just feel like she looks a bit young still or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? She hasn't aged really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for me, yeah, anyway. I would love to see like Caroline O'Connor or like. Yeah, someone with a bit more. Yeah, in, interestingly, like in that production, there was a lot of um, really like Australian musical theatre heavyweights. Like the character who sings, oh, is it Broadway Baby? I can't remember which character it was, but Debbie Byrne played. Oh, wow. Debbie Byrne was in it and like Nancy Hayes was in it. Yeah. Like, some, like proper heavyweights. So I don't know, like couldn't you get – anyway, that's really bitchy. Sorry, Lisa McCune. <laughs> some fun facts. Yes. Okay, so obviously the word follies is a play on words. In the context of theatre and the Ziegfeld Follies particularly, Follies meant like something extravagant. So it was like yeah. this over-the-top extravagant show. It came from, front, from the French. Um, what becomes clear in the show, however, is that each character is really foolish yeah. and have made some really serious mistakes, hence Follies. Wordplay. <laughs> however, the show was originally titled The Girls Upstairs. Yeah. And you would think, knowing Sondheim the way we all do and loving him the way we all do, that he would be responsible for its title change and the cleverness of the play on words, but it's actually Hal Prince. Okay. Which, like, as soon as you – because I just always assume Follies, that's so clever because it's like the Follies and also Folly, but no, that's Hal Prince. I do get the feeling that Hal was often the real, like – mastermind behind I a agree. lot of things like I agree. he knew exactly how to have I, probably in the same way that we look at a relationship like Tommy Kale and Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah. yeah where it's like he knew how to like direct some direct the genius. to be his best yes yeah I completely agree yeah. and I think like a lot of people will probably agree with me that sometimes collaborations with Hal Prince are his best yeah oh yeah like oh, I mean Neither of our favourite musicals are those musicals. That's but, very true. But like, However, yeah, they work like, together. And everything how Prince touched, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Fiddle on the roof. Um, 
So another interesting fun fact, the Winter Garden Theatre, where the original Broadway production opened, had previously housed the Ziegfeld Follies. Lovely. Um, also recently, like Ruth said, Beetlejuice was there and the Music Man Revival was supposed to open there this year, but it's been postponed, obviously. Yeah. School of Rock was there, so I went there quite a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think also Cats was there for a long time. It was. It was the Cats Theatre. Because it's a big enough theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in January 2015, it was reported that Rob Marshall was set to direct a movie version of the musical oh. with Meryl Streep um, rumoured to be oh. Sally. Tony Award-winning playwright, Oscar-nominated screenwriter John Logan had expressed yep. an interest in writing a film adaptation of Follies. Then in November 2019, it was announced that Dominic Cook would adapt the screenplay and direct the film after he – like he directed the National Theatre okay, production. Yep. Um, so then like they did that return season in 2019. So that was 2019 that that was announced, but I can't find any reference to what's happening yeah. with the film. And obviously now nothing's in production, but I couldn't find even in 2019 any more than that. Yeah. So fingers crossed that's still happening. Some music. Okay, look, let's not pretend. Sometimes a genius. And this is just another example of his genius, I think. Yeah. What I love about the show is how it is such a classic in terms of its music. Like it's it's vaudeville. A lot of the songs are vaudeville acts. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. It has one of the most beautiful Torch songs ever written. Yeah. That's losing my mind. Yeah. A Torch song, for those who don't know, is like an unrequited love song. Yeah. That's it. This show Holding also, a torch for someone, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This show also has one of my favourite overtures of all time. Oh, excellent. Yes, I know you all appreciate that because you and your... I particularly appreciate it. I know that you do. <laughs> so, some gateway songs. I am sorry, but I'm going to say the prologue, which is the overture. Oh, yeah. It's not a really long one. But it's also like it's thematically it's beautiful. It also gives you a really clear picture of the mood of the rest yeah. of the show. So I recommend that. Another gateway song will be Broadway Baby because it's cute and delicious. I love that song. It's so, such a good song. Of course, I've added Bernadette singing that one. Yeah. She doesn't – like the, the character of Sally doesn't sing Broadway Baby, but Bernadette Peters has sung that many times. In fact, there's a really cute YouTube video – oh, I should link to that – of her doing Broadway Baby when she was like – 16. Oh, really? For like maybe one of those TV specials. Yeah. Back in like the 60s. Well, it can't be the 60s. It was obviously the 70s, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and the other uh, gateway song will be Losing My Mind as sung by Imelda Staunton yeah. because she's a goddess. Yeah. It's just so good. And yeah, that's Follies. Yeah. I think that of, um, I think Company and Follies of all his shows have the most standalone songs. I completely you can agree. Take because of the way that they're staged. Yes. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, because in Follies it's like here is a character, here is a showgirl singing her number from the show. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. And the the songs move the story forward in a more emo- in a more like emotional sense and not necessarily in like a physical sense. Well, no, and obviously because it's set like over one night, yeah. the story doesn't move chronologically. It's just like an exploration into their past, yeah. really. And you yeah. just get to see more of the characters and who they were and who they are now yeah. through the songs. I don't know. I know that – so that national version didn't yeah. have an interval – yeah, so uh, the original didn't have an interval. Oh, okay. Cameron McIntosh, when he brought it to the West End in the 80s, added an interval. Yeah. Well, he asked on time to add an interval. And then, yeah, it was taken out. So apparently that National Theatre production was sort of the closest to the original. Okay. Since the original. I mean, it was very long, I will say. Like, I think it was over two hours. Well, that is one of the complaints and the reason why Cameron McIntosh wanted to add an interval. But I also don't know whether it's necessary 
like I'm not so you know I'm very much about like let's get to the brass tacks of what something is. The people who are going to see Follies, like the audience that I sat with in the National Theatre, they're probably too old not to have an interval. Like honestly, like they need a bathroom break. Like it's awful, but like that's really practical. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the story needs it. No, but. I do wonder if, like, at the time it was written, that wasn't the case. Like, young people were probably watching Follies, right, in well, the 70s? I think, I think the, I mean, if we're talking about baby boomers, that's when that was, yeah. you know. Yeah. They were in their prime. But now they need a break. They need a bathroom break. Yeah. Give the boomers a break. Don't actually, that's not how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> Uh, no yeah. one's saying that anymore, did you know? Huh? The kids aren't saying that anymore. Aren't they? No. Nah. They've moved on. They don't want to talk about boomers. You're much more in touch than I am being around children each day. Yes, I am around children each day. Yeah. I yeah, I do really love Follies. It's funny because I was I really tossed I was tossing up between doing a little night music first or Follies. Yeah. And it's it's got to be Follies. I prefer it to a little night music if that. Yes, well, <laughs> so do I in the yeah. end. And yeah, for good reason. It's really beautiful. And now that we've got this National Theatre live production, yeah. there's just no excuse not to really love it. Yeah. Off you go. Absolutely. Philip Cross, come on. Oh, he's so amazing. How is he so amazing? Can he wear a suit or what? Like, I'm sorry, but he is sexy. Yeah. And he's what, in his 60s? He'd have to. I think he's my mum's age. In fact, he was born like the year, the same year as my mum in the same town as my mum. Oh, that's, I think you it's mentioned that. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, but I find him very attractive. But because do you remember that TV show Brides of Christ? Yes, I do. He was in that. He wore a leather jacket. You're obsessed. Well, also he was on play school when I was a kid. I mean, like, yeah, I remember him from play school. Yeah. And he wore those like stonewashed jeans. Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's too old. Stop it. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, yeah. Follies. Follies. It is, it is a beautiful show. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Do you have anything else you want to say? I think we should talk about what next week's going to be. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell them? Sure. Tell so the people. So, this was episode 19. Yes. Next week is our 20th episode. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just. Yay. Ding. Um, and we thought uh, it was time to cover one of the big ones. Oh, yeah, it is. But that we somewhat equally love. We equally love it. And so the decision was made also because of how big this one is yeah. that we should both talk about it. So next week, episode 20, it's just one show and we're all, it's all about Hamilton. It's all about Hamilton, guys. It's the Hamilton episode of my favourite musical. I'm sorry that it's episode 20, but I'm also – I think it's important. I think it was important yeah. that we wait. Yeah. And, and it I'm, needs like two people's worth of research. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think we could probably do like a, like a six-part. Yeah. If we – like if this could be a whole podcast about Hamilton, but you don't have to do that. No, that already it, exists. That already exists. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that next week. And also stay tuned for Thursday's mixtape. That's right. Uh, please feel free. Actually, don't feel free. Just do it. Give us a five-star rating on um, Apple Podcasts. Yep, subscribe. Please give us a review if you can. You can just write, I love you. That would be great. Yep, that's all you need to write. And don't, yeah, don't write. If you want to email us, it's myfavouritemusical at gmail.com. Yep, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, Instagram's myfavouritemusical. Twitter is my fave musical. Yes, because we're basic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, otherwise we'll um, – We'll see you next week. Yeah. When will I see you, Ruth? Um, probably also next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
<laughs> and in your dreams every night. You know it. Boom. All right. Goodbye, people. Bye. Bye.